Hi, this is Steve, co-host of The Art Box. Before we get to our episode today, let's have a word from our sponsor, the Virgin Valley Artists Association. Hi, my name is Chris Pichor. I'm with the Virgin Valley Artists Association, and I've been volunteering for them for many years. I served as president, past president, and I've been on the board of director for probably seven years. I wanted to share with you a little bit about what the Virgin Valley Artists Association is all about. We're a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we're run totally by volunteers. We maintain the Mesquite Fine Arts Center, which has now become the Mesquite Fine Arts Campus, where we offer free programs to children, teens, and adults. We also offer many types of art classes, ranging from all types of brush art, drawing art, three-dimensional art, which would include pottery, jewelry, and earth elements, and even junk art. We have a different competition and exhibition every month, which awards ribbons as well as monetary prizes. We also have space for our artists who are not participating in our monthly exhibition to display their work. And we have a gift shop where our artists can sell their art. We offer bi-monthly and often weekly paint and pour parties on Friday evenings. These are one of our major fundraisers. People get to paint a painting, they get to have a couple of glasses of wine or beer, and just have a good old time. We're coming up on our 20th anniversary in September, and we're planning a big celebration for that. We're also getting ready to have our annual Witches Ball. Aside from all of this, we have acquired three new buildings for our campus a new pottery studio, an additional classroom, and a student store where art students can purchase their supplies, hopefully at a lower cost than retail. But all this takes people, people who love and appreciate art and want to let the art spread throughout the community. The Virgin Valley Artists Association needs volunteers. We can use help in all areas, from accounting, secretarial, front desk, people to pour at our paint and pour parties. We need people to help us design and furnish our new buildings. And we need people to do workshops, help us plan and help us set up our fundraising events. If you wanna see this community grow in the arts for all ages and all age groups, please contact Chris at C-P-I-C-I-O-R-V-V-A-A at gmail.com or call 435-229-9964. Or you can stop in at the gallery and leave a message for Chris at the front desk. I hope to see a bunch of you come in and offer your services. Thank you for listening. See trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you, and I think to myself. Virgin Valley Artists Association welcomes you to the Art Box, recorded in our beautiful Mesquite, Nevada, and sponsored by the Virgin Valley Artists Association. Our association has something for everyone of all ages. Come and get creative with us at 15 West Mesquite Boulevard, or find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, or on Facebook as Mesquite Fine Art Center, also on Facebook, The Art Box.
Welcome, Liz. Thank you. We were talking about, before we got on the air, we were talking about all these moments in our life, like for Steve and me, it was the Kennedy assassination and landing on the moon, and for you it was... Yeah, 9-11, or I guess President Barack Obama getting elected, and him versus Mitt Romney. Uh Just similar events, but different points in time. It was the it was those moments where you think about oh I always remember where I was when mm-hmm. I heard this or saw this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fast forward, <laughs> you're here today, <laughs> interviewing with us. We're so glad, right, Steve? Uh, absolutely. You know, you're one of our favorite people in the entire world. Oh. So. Didn't butter me up a little more. I hate hearing it. <laughs> I, I know you do. You are you are the steam center. Yep. Um, I am the manager over the whole steam center. I got brought in very early on in the project, and I yeah I've been a one person employee for a long time now, and just getting to a point where I have two part time employees joining me. So we're growing. Yes, We're getting are. there. <laughs> and it's pretty cool. Now, I instantly loved you because I said it would be really nice if we could get a studio for the art box. And, of course, you're like, what do you need? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I. this community is so interesting, and I wanted to make sure we were bringing in as many elements as we could into the Steam Center. So if someone came forward and said, this is what I was interested in doing, I, I ran with it as much as I could. And for you and for Linda and those that were – helpful with the art box and podcast and all of that it obviously turned out beautiful <laughs> yeah here we here we sit in a padded room and i think my dad said i would always end up with in a padded room <laughs> but i think he was thinking i would also have a straight jacket on <laughs> that's too funny yeah but he didn't say that <laughs> so liz tell us how all of this started all uh, i'm assuming there was just an ad in the paper that said who wants to be in, in a manager and help develop the STEAM Center. Seriously, how did you get started in Yeah, this? I guess I'll take you a little farther back. Please. I graduated from Utah State University, so all the way up in Logan. Okay. So I was raised in St. George, southern Utah, and went all the way up north to the cold. I was working on my undergraduate, but along the way, I worked as a student worker for the academic library on campus, and it was a very sought-after job, mostly because they let you do your homework at the desk. So you got paid to do your homework? And I was like, oh, that, yep, that's up my alley. I would love to, because then I know if I sat down and got it done, then I'd, I was like, okay, I'm going to work, I'm gonna get my homework done, and I'm gonna get paid for it. I was like, triple whammy, that's perfect. And then along the way, I was able to move into a full-time position at the library. I became their night and weekends circulation supervisor. So I worked from 3 p.m. until midnight, and then I closed the library. And then I was the supervisor over all of the student workers. So I went from a student worker to supervising the student workers. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. From there, I kind of just fell in love with the library. I got to know like the day-to-day ins and outs, what's going on, helping students with research. I just like the feeling of an academic library we're all there like the library does so many different things so you're helping with the research but you're also helping with like outreach and programming or helping with supporting teachers and being the liaison for different departments 
after I graduated with my bachelor's degree, I went on and got my master's degree in library and information science. So like oh, I was saying, okay. that was at San Jose State in California. Mm-hmm. But after I graduated with my undergraduate, my significant other, he said, I really would like to continue my education and take a CNC course down in Southern Utah. And I about strangled that boy. I was like, anywhere but Southern Utah. I was like, I don't want to go back down there. My uncle actually teaches the course at Dixie Tech. So my boyfriend really wanted to take the the course from my uncle. So we ended up moving down to Southern Utah again, up against every... Every want that I wanted, I was like, please, anywhere. I'll, we can go anywhere in the whole U.S. or outside. You want to go back to Southern Utah? That was mid-COVID. So we graduated 2020, full pandemic, full swing. Everything was closed down. And in my naive brain, I was like, well, I have a bachelor's degree. There's no way I won't be able to find a job. I stand corrected. <laughs> it was very difficult to find what I was interested in doing just because the world had shut down. I ended up getting a position here in Mesquite at the local public library. So I now have academic library experience, but also public library experience. I worked there for about a year. And along the way, Judy Sargent, so she's the branch manager over the Mesquite library, started talking about a project she was working on, the STEAM Center. Every so often she'd be like, oh, this afternoon I'm going to be at the STEAM Center, or we've got something cool going on at the STEAM Center. But like, I didn't know what was going on. I was like, oh yeah, like no problem. If we need you, we'll call you. Then one day she came to me and she was like, so there is this open position at the STEAM Center and I think that you would be perfect for it. She kind of like talked to me about what their plan was, what they were doing and kind of was like, it's a bit of a vague job description because we don't exactly know what we're like. We're only a nonprofit board, but we're looking to hire someone that's going to help us really get the vision, really hit the ground running. So she was like, just Next time you and I are in the office together, we'll just run over to the STEAM Center together and we'll tour it together. I was like, oh yeah, that sounds perfect. And then when we went over the next time to tour the building, there sat George and Burton and Anne, and it was an interview. So it was not a tour of the STEAM Center. It was an interview. Well, there wasn't much to tour in those days. No, no, there was not. There were three empty rooms with a couple of plastic folding chairs and tables set up and that was about it. <laughs> it was a quick tour, but also an interview. So that's how I got started. Judy directly brought me onto the project. So I had no idea they were hiring. I had no idea they were looking for someone. What happened after that? You said they offered you the job. You said yes. Right then, did they offer you the job? Um, I think they were like, we'll get back to you, which is pretty mm-hmm. standard for an interview. Mm-hmm. And I waited around for someone to call me. And then the next time that Judy and I worked in the library together, she was like, oh, well, they'd like to offer you the position. You just need to get back to them. So I felt like it was, I was waiting for them and they were waiting for me. So we were both kind of sitting in limbo. And she was like, if you wanted to accept it today, like I would accept your two weeks notice at the library so we could get going. And I was like, oh, I I, (laughs) I hadn't quite considered yet. So yeah, it, it, went really well. I put in my two weeks notice. I helped out getting everything in order at the library before I left and then moved into this position shortly after. So how do you start building a STEAM center? Sure. My very first assignment that I was given, so I finally got the actual tour. Mm -hmm. Um, We sat down and talked about 
pretty much putting together a strategic plan is what I would say. So Mm -hmm. I said, what's your mission and vision statement? And they're like, well, we have one for Mesquite Works, which is the resume building part, the job placement, which is what they had been before. And I was like, okay, but that doesn't really cover what our goals and objectives are for the STEAM Center. Because if you're going to work into K through 12 kids, it doesn't really overlap too much with we're going to help people resume build. So we had to sit down and make a mission and vision statement for the STEAM Center, make strategic goals for the year. So in, if we sit down in a year from now, then these are going to be the goals that are going to be, yes, we were successful, mm-hmm. or no, this wasn't something we were able to get done. After that was put together, we sat down and we said, okay, so this is our mission and our vision, and based on those outlines, what are next steps? So that that's when we went back to the community and said, all right, what are the community needs? So that's where Steve came in with podcasting, but also what are the needs of, or wants really, of the mm-hmm. students in the mm-hmm. Valley? So I started reaching out to different students to say, if we were to start a program like this, then what would you be interested in? And then we also had a lot of people in the community who have education backgrounds. So the CTE instructor for all of the Las Vegas Clark County School District, she sat down and kind of wrote her ideas. Um, We had Isla Young, who is someone very popular around here, sat down and wrote down her ideas. So just compiling the needs that I could find from different organizations or businesses in the area and then the needs of the students in the area and then what some other experts had already kind of outlined. Mm -hmm. I took all of that and then started from ground one and said, all right, let's put a list together of every single item that we could need in these three units to make this place successful. And that is where the project really started. Okay. So you had a student advisory committee? Yeah, a student advisory council. Oh, council. Mm-hmm. They, the youngest is about 13. I think she just turned 14. And then um, all the way up to a high school senior. So they were in here since day one. Like I said, kind of directing what they were interested in. But also when we got tables in, they were helping put together the tables. They helped assemble and put together the hydroponics unit and picked out the seeds and what we were going to do with them. So they've been a guiding factor in here since honestly, almost the same time that I got brought in. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, this isn't the Liz Larson STEAM Center, so it's meant for the students, and if we're not doing what they're interested in, then there's really no point in the time and the money and the effort. So I wanted to make sure they, we were bringing them in. Wow, that's (laughs) a lot of planning and a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. For probably about the first three or four months, Mm -hmm. I kept a notepad next to my bed and I'd wake up at 2 or 3 in the morning, and I'd be like, oh, we're definitely going to need Band-Aids. And then I'd go back to sleep. And then I'd wake up again at 5 or 6 in the morning and be like, oh, we're going to need extension cords. <laughs> because it, it's a lot to just come into three empty rooms mm-hmm. and have someone say, we're going to need every single item to make this place successful. Anything from the chairs and the tables to the first aid to the professional development and training, to the technology, which is the fun part, the 3D printers and the Glowforge, the hydroponics. 
like I said, going back to that mission and vision statement, going back to the needs of the community and the students, going back to what the experts said, but also going back to kind of what I wanted and what my vision was is what this has turned out to be after probably about a year because I came on a little over a year ago and we're just now to a point where that vision is a reality. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. These, these, this building was a shell. Yeah. <laughs> and you filled it. It's, it's filled. And there's even more shell and filling to go. Yes, there is. <laughs> you mentioned the printers. Those are 3D printers, uh-huh. right? Yep. We're hoping to do 3D printer classes where students can learn the skills for CAD and CAM. So you get to sit down at a computer, 3D design what you'd like to print. And then you can take that 3D design and plug it straight into that printer, and that printer will print it for you. Things like we had someone come and photograph the open house for our donors and dignitaries. And when she talked to Parker, who's one of the part-time employees, she said, could you print me a lens cap for my camera because I've lost mine and he took the measurements he talked to her about like what components mm-hmm. that she'd like and then he sat down in CAD and designed it in his software plugged it into the 3d printer and that 3d printer printed him out a, a camera lens cap that he gave to her and she uses that's pretty amazing isn't it Steve? I'm so jealous she has a better lens cap than I do <laughs> she has a steam lens cap yep. <laughs> Liz, where do you see the STEAM Center fitting in as far as partnerships with the schools? And then let me expand that to the local businesses. Do the students get all they need at Virgin Valley High School and Beaverdam High School, or can the STEAM Center, will the STEAM Center add something extra? And then the same for business. We know that we have Crown and Cork coming into town. What I understand is is that they need some talented employees, you know, with a background in technology. <laughs> Where do you see the Seam Center filling in? Two parts to your to your question. First I'm gonna say for the K through twelve it's it's a pretty big age range. For the younger students, I think our goal is more exposure. Going back to what you said about the school districts. We, we're covering Virgin Valley, but we're also covering Beaver Dam all the way to Moapa. So we've taken what they have and made sure that we're not replicating that. So we're doing things that they're not necessarily doing already. We're making sure that there is a need and we're filling that need. And like I said, it's mostly just exposure. So if a student is interested in the 3D printers, is that something that they have access to at an elementary level, at a middle school level, at a high school level. Just starting at that exposure, knowing what's out there, what they have the possibility of doing. Is this something that you enjoy doing? Because even just for me, I started on one career path and then along the way decided that's not really what I found interesting. But if I had been maybe exposed to a little bit more hands-on experience with that, I might have found that out a little sooner. Mm -hmm. So that exposure is definitely what we're working on for the younger students. And then for the older students, like you said, going straight into that pathway to employment. Um, We've had local businesses come and tour what we have now and what we have to offer and then ask them, is this something that would be helpful to you? Or 
what could we offer here that would be helpful for a student to put on their resume? For example, Crown Court Conceal did come and do a walkthrough. And one of the things specifically that they talked about was getting like safety trained, just those like safety trainings at the very beginning that someone needs to take. If they're already trained on some of those specific safety courses and had that on a resume, that would put them far above some of the other people that were applying. Or just simple machinist or welding verbiage, like the lingo in the fields, if they know what someone's talking about beforehand. So during an interview, if you understand what's actually being said to you, instead of having to ask questions, then they said that is so helpful just to have them, like you said, going back to the the exposure of they understand what we're doing, they understand what our goals are, our expectations are. We'll be working with other businesses as well. We have a local food trunk company. So they're going to like build the actual food trucks. And they said that they could really use welders in the area. So we have our virtual reality system that has a welding training course that a student could go through. And even at the end of it, if they don't have like a a certification, they at least know what different parts of the machine and what to do with them. And if someone says, oh, can you pick this up? Then they know what different parts someone's talking about. So exposure for younger kids and older kids, but it is something that there is a need here. And then we're trying to partner as best as we can with the schools. So we've had the principals come in and we've sat down and we've said, how do you see this being successful? Or how do we get students here and excited? And they've said similar things as far as that pathway to employment. If there's some sort of certification, is there some sort of item they can put on a resume? That's what kids are looking to do here. So if we can meet that need in, there's just, there's a need all over the place and just trying to find which one and how we can run with it. I mean, that's a, a long-winded answer to. Yeah, I mean, not really. <laughs> and because that itself is going to be ever-changing. Yep. Because businesses, new businesses are going to come in here with new needs and there'll be new technologies. And, and so it, it's going to go on forever. Yeah. Well, and even if we're just starting with soft skills, teaching and having firsthand experience of how to communicate with someone. And the elements of STEAM have so much problem solving. That's something that you can put on a resume no matter what direction or career that you go through. So even if we're just starting with the soft skills, how, how to work with one another, how to communicate properly with one another, how to problem solve, um, that's something that you can just take with you no matter what you plan on doing. And then as more businesses come in and as they continue telling us this is our need, we can continue filling those like more specific needs as well. So, and Problem solving is huge. Mm. You know, and look how things go. I mean, when Linda and I went to school, I know she's a little bit younger than me, but you know, we were learning that time the latest in technologies, like changing, I think in Missouri, changing wagon wheels and things like that you were doing. I learned there were three dinosaurs. <laughs> well, is that sounds you know just amazing for this little city because all kids don't want, are not going to go off to a college out of town. Right. And for them, as the city grows with Crown Cork and the Hawaiian food truck coming in, it's nice to know that we will train some of our youth to have the skills to be employed here locally. Right. That's huge. That's huge. Yeah. No, one of our goals is to hopefully change the trajectory of Mesquite and move away from us being primarily 
a retirement town or primarily funded by golf and gambling. We want to have students have success here in Mesquite and have careers that can help them afford a happy lifestyle. Like I said, e even if they do choose to go into golf or gaming, that's a great career and having those soft skills are great. But also if they decide to go to Crown Cork and Seal or go on to the Hawaiian food truck, or if you even just learn the skills of welding and then don't turn that into a career, but do it as a hobby on the side because you learn that you love it. There's so many different applications that I think will just really be so helpful for, for this community. And hopefully, like I said, the Beaver Dam community, the Moapa, trying to reach as many students as we can in our surrounding areas as well. So tell me about little Liz growing up. Were you always in the library reading? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah? <laughs> I definitely digest books is what my mom liked to say when I was growing up. I would lock myself into my room and I would just read and come back out. I've always been a night owl though. So I'd start reading at 7 p.m. and I'd read until 2 or 3 in the morning. Wow. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I've always loved books. It's been a long time since I've been able to read one for fun. It feels like with school, going from straight from an undergraduate to a graduate degree, it's been a lot of textbook reading. Sure. So now I'm looking forward to, I've got a TBR, a to-be-read list that's pages long because I've been compiling them for the past hmm, probably about six or seven years now. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start digesting books again, hopefully. <laughs> What's your favorite type of book to read? I really love historical fiction. Okay. I like discussing books with other people. I'm pretty easygoing when it comes to a book, but if someone's reading something and wants to discuss it with me, I'll happily pick it up so we can actually talk about it. Um, my significant other loves old western books that's like his one niche that he'll read anything old western a lot of the times i'll just <laughs> read what he reads so that we can talk about it sure. on long road trips or stuff mm -hmm. like that but i love something that is a little bit outside of reality but also has that sense of reality your suspension of disbelief isn't too far away so it's like oh yeah that could happen but it's like entertaining could happen <laughs> so why do you love to read what does it, what does it do for you it's definitely an escape mechanism. Sometimes, it's, like I said, specifically going to school, there's a lot of textbooks, it's a lot of mundane, a lot of hoops to jump through, but reading is just an escape. But it all, like, there's so many books out there. If I read as many books as I could for the rest of my life, I wouldn't even make a dent in all of the books that are out there. So there's just always something that could meet the needs of what you're looking for. I mean, mm -hmm. even like cookbooks, you could search up in Google a recipe, no problem nowadays. It's how most of us function. But I still love the physical aspect of a cookbook. You know, if someone put like love into making that and the pictures and like even just a fun date night is picking up one of our cookbooks on our shelves, flipping it open to a random page and being like, well, this is what we're cooking today. <laughs> so there's just like, or if you're going more into research and academics, then you're helping students find the information that they're looking for or find a gap in information that's not out there. So if they're looking for something specific and you go down the rabbit hole and you can't find what they're looking for, that normally means like, oh, this is an opportunity for you to be the person that fills that that informational gap or what research are you going to do to help so the next person who wants to answer that question, like you can be the person that has that answer. So I, there's just like versatility in books is something that really amazes me. But like I said, knowing that someone put love and care into that 
that book, it's just a lot more personal than Googling or doing all of those other things, which are convenient, mm -hmm. but a little bit less personal. I love the old recipe books, mm -hmm. especially the regional ones like Southern Living, yes. Midwest Living. Uh -huh. They're just fun to sit and look at for hours, aren't they? Mm -hmm. My grandmother has a, a crock pot recipe that was published in a few different mm -hmm. um, recipe books. And when we go thrifting, I always look for those specific books because I can flip it open and be like, this is my grandma's recipe. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that Linda bought up Little Liz. What else did Little Liz do? Did Little Liz do art? Mm, little Liz doesn't sit down and do one thing for very long. Yeah. <laughs> Except read. Mm, except read. Uh-huh. But that was, like I said, that's the midnight hours when I couldn't sleep. <laughs> I was forced to play piano. And I'm still not very good at it. That was. I'm the oldest of five. I always call myself the guinea pig, even though my mom hates that. She said that... Each of the, the, the kids were going to learn how to play an instrument. And after, so I was the first one, and after the second one, the, the rest didn't really follow through. But I was forced to play piano, probably starting at around six. And then I had to continue taking lessons all the way until I graduated as a senior. And I'm still wow. not any good at piano. Don't like, that was the only fight that my mom and I ever had growing up. Like, we got together like peas in a pod that my mom is my best friend like we didn't disagree or argue when it came to the piano that was our one <laughs> your one thing uh-huh huh? but now i know that you play piano and vernon robison plays piano yeah. i can open up a bar in town and have a dueling piano oh bar. no 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 <laughs> oh man that would be so good it would be yeah Liz and Vern going at it. That wouldn't be good. Vern would win every time. I'd be like, mm-mm. <laughs> well, of course, he has his master's in piano. Does he? Yes, he does. Oh, Vern is such a cool dude. He I, is. He's so nice and friendly, and I just... We have so many amazing people on our nonprofit board, though. Mm -hmm. Like, coming in, and I commute from Hurricane. So I don't live in the community. I don't know the community very much, but that's definitely something that has happened because of this position i know so many wonderful people in this community so that first board meeting when it was like oh hi nice to meet you i'm Vern. i'm nice to meet you i'm jerry chasco nice to meet you i didn't know the people i was talking to and the amount of power they had in this community mm -hmm. and now like they do such amazing things like our our nonprofit board are, is just a fabulous group of people i know that was off topic from what we were talking about but they're a lot easier to talk about than little <laughs> No, what just happens? Well, you said you would get up in the middle of the night and write things down. Uh-huh. Do you ever dream things? Yeah, I... And how does that... Does that help with work, hurt with work, or are they... No, I have nonsense dreams. They're okay. never they're never helpful. <laughs> I did for a while keep a dream journal next to my bed so that I could write down my dreams. Because if I don't write them down, then they're gone but i have a lot of like the same reoccurring dream so part of the reason i read when i stayed up so late is because i couldn't sleep so reading was just an easy way to be like oh well i'm not sleeping might as well pass the time doing something but my dad always said if you can't sleep do something that you love so his favorite thing to do that would help him go to sleep instead of like counting sheep is what normal people i guess would do my dad would play 18 holes of golf because that's what he likes to do. So he'd lay in bed and he'd close his eyes and he'd envision himself playing 18 holes of, <laughs> of 
levels of golf. Really? Uh-huh. And so my favorite thing to do, which is so cheesy and always a little bit embarrassing to admit, is but I love Disneyland. I like my grandmother took me to Disneyland growing up. It's like our spot. It's something that like I just love. It's pretty much going back to the escapism of books, being able to escape from reality just for a minute and go to a place that just seems a little bit too perfect or a little bit too happy like I kind of love that so I would always envision myself going to Disneyland and I normally have a lot of dreams that reoccur around going to Disneyland or an amusement park sometimes in a great happy way and sometimes they turn into a little bit of nightmares <laughs> but I've I've kept that since my dad told me just close your eyes and do something you love and I know Disneyland like the back of my hand so close my eyes and started start an adventure in Disneyland. If you had a dream and you were stuck in It's a Small World after all, <laughs> for all night, would that be a happy dream or would that be a nightmare? Mm, a little bit of both. Our, so that's so funny that you mentioned that one. Our family tradition in Disneyland always is you walk into the front park and you go straight back to the small world and that's the first one you ride because my dad hates it so we always get it out of the way first but i love it i think it's hilarious so i probably would be a little bit of a nightmare only if like the puppets started to come alive oh, yeah. that's when i'm yeah. i'm out nope the song i like it we probably will be stuck in my head the rest of the day and that'll be fine So, <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> See, now we're stuck. All right, Linda, you said I like you had her, something. Her humming that, that was great. Liz, you're you're very computer savvy. Sure. I I know that. <laughs> I'm curious what you think about AI and the role that that will play in our work world. Sure. I'm even just bringing it into some of the goods and the bads that are happening currently. I mean, there's writers and actors on strike because they're not being paid what they should be paid, but also because you have AI technology taking over for people who should be the ones writing and not the AI. I think in the sense of there's a time and a place for all things. So a lot of my education growing up, specifically in English, heavy on writing essays. I'm really good at writing five paragraphs. You got your introduction and you got your closure and then you got your three body. Like I can pound those out real fast because that's what I did all through middle school, high school, and even into college. And I think with this whole introduction to AI technology that teachers will have to find um, a different way to check for understanding because students do have access to chat GPT where mm -hmm. you say can you write me a five paragraph essay about the themes in fill in the blank book here I whatever we were reading at the time um, mm -hmm. Fahrenheit 54 or Big River or trying to think of all the ones that they require of mice and men or and AI will just generate based on information that's already out there and compile it and write you a five paragraph essay will it always be the best essay 
Absolutely not. AI is nowhere near perfect at this point. If you've played with it, it is amazing. Like, absolutely mind-blowing how good it does. But every so often, you'll read something, and if you've actually read the book, you're going to be like, mm, I don't know about that one. That doesn't really make sense. But if you didn't read the book, you'll, you won't know too much. So I think we'll probably veer away from your standard five-paragraph essay and more into discussions in person or checking for understanding through verbal confirmation. So, I mean, and that'll help with growing soft skills and communication, be able to communicate your thoughts. Um, but writing is still important. So being able to then talk verbally, oh yeah, I see you understand that book. I see you've learned from it. Like, thank you for talking about that. If you'll put that into words now, and then maybe having the teacher take the lead on how to incorporate AI in a positive way. So let's start your paragraph and let's put it into AI and say, could you make this better? And then see what AI has to say to make it better. Or can you say a theme from this book and then it'll generate something and you can say, oh, what do you think you would agree that that was a theme in the book? Or is this a theme you thought of before? So I think they'll just have to adapt. I mean, we were talking about how there's generational events and how they maybe affected us the same, but they were happening at different time points, 9-11 versus the assassination of JFK. Mm -hmm. I mean, technology has grown exponentially. How did teachers think we were going to affect, like, just being able to pull up Google and search? What year was the Revolutionary War? So instead of having to learn years, you now have knowledge at your fingertips. So you've had to adapt where it's not as important to memorize dates as it is to talk about maybe how did that war influence where we are now? Or a little bit more, I guess, in-depth because you have access to that knowledge, mm -hmm. but now what are you going to do with that knowledge? And teachers adapted from that, and it's just a whole new way that we're gonna have to learn to adapt. I mean, students still, you send home a worksheet and they have those math websites where you can scan the math equation and the website will just solve it for you and they just solve it and they're not learning anything. Really? Uh -huh. I did not know that. Yeah, and there are, like I said, uh -huh. there it could be a tool because mm -hmm. a lot of them will walk you step by step how they solved mm -hmm. it. So if you're stumped, it could be an easy way to find the answer, but it also could be a, a tool to say, oh, I can see how they got that. Mm -hmm. It just, you, you can't take away the internet now that it's here. You can't take away AI now that it's here it's just learning to adapt and grow and figure out how to implement it in the best ways and i'm not going to go out there and say i am any type of <laughs> genius mm -hmm. or have the solutions it'll be something that there'll be some growing pains with and having to say oh well that didn't really work as a solution what if we did this but it, it is a great tool that can be utilized at the right time in the right place do you think authors will still have authors that write books if AI can write books AI can generate information based off of information that's already out there mm -hmm. so I'm sure they can write a book that would be fine it's not going to be anything new it's not going to be anything out of the box because it's only playing on information that it knows on the internet and a lot of the time specifically like chat GPT only compiles information based off of things in I think it's 2021 or before. So I mean, it's two years behind. So it's not incorporating anything that's up to date. Not saying that they won't fix that. 
because it's just going to continue to progress and get better. But it's not going to produce any new or novel ideas. It's just going to reinvent the wheel several thousand different times. So if you want to read the same thing over and over again, it'll probably do a pretty good job, but it doesn't technically have any out-of-the-box thinking because it doesn't think for itself. It just creates based on what's already out there. That's really good. That is good. And it goes along with the AI I've seen with the art. Mm. It's usually some beautiful lady, uh, but she doesn't look real. Right. I find that very interesting. I can pick out the AI art. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but they have, when they put it on Facebook, there are a whole bunch of bots Mm. that talk about how beautiful the art is. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. This is what the very same stuff I read on the last AI <laughs> yep. piece of art. I, one of the things I love to do in my pastime, I love watching YouTube. I mm. love YouTube. It's kind of like the same sentiment as books. There's just so much out there. If I'm interested in learning something or watching something, whether it's for passing my time for fun or whether it's for information, there's a YouTube out there and someone normally just... They do it so well and so captivating. And I watched a YouTube video about they had AI write a recipe for something they thought a kid would make. So, like, mm. could you make a recipe of a pizza that a child between the ages of six and eight would make? And then AI generated the recipe and they mm. made that. And then they actually brought in a student and had the student make a pizza. And the AI's pizza is, like... Oh, it's a normal pizza. It just has M&M's on it. The, the student's pizza was like, it's going to be a chocolate base and we're going to have marshmallows for cheese. Like, it, it was evident which one was the actual child's pizza because you, you can't emulate a child's brain. Like, they're, like, I'm always amazed by them. They always come up with something new. It's always like, I can't believe you thought of like, like yeah, the marshmallows for cheese makes so much sense. But the AI was like, oh, yeah, it's a marinara base. You're going to put cheese on it. And then we put M&Ms on it because that's what kids like. So it's like it was so easy to decipher between the two. <laughs> I was just going to say that's some great information. And I appreciate your perspective. I like to play around with AI, but I'm nowhere near an expert. I just it like I said it's a tool that can be used. What's your funniest story in your days as working at the library? Not necessarily a librarian. A public library is such a specific place because it's a landing ground for so many different people. We do have a good amount of people who are experiencing homelessness, and they love the library. I mean, it's 115 degrees out. I would also love the library, like, escaping the heat as much as possible. But every so often, like, we normally have the same group of people that will come in, but we'll sometimes have those that will come into town, and then they'll stay for, like, a month, and then they'll blow out of town. I'm just, I'm trying to think funny-wise. We had one that would sit and play the same game, so one of the things that the public library offers in Mesquite is access to like an xbox console we had a gentleman come in he told me like his whole life story and he's like i just want to play the xbox so we put in a game and he like beat the game like he was only here for a month but he would come in he would play the game and then he'd like leave 
by close. And he literally started and finished the whole game for a month. And then he was like, well, that's all I wanted to do. And then he left and I never saw him again. And I was like, well, that's one way to use the library, I guess. <laughs> In the academic library, we had, during the summer, uh, a lot of the college students would go home and there was just an empty campus. So we'd have a lot of um, youth groups come through. Specifically, there was always one like group that would do a scavenger hunt around campus. And I was so used to exactly like what they needed to go next so I would normally just stand at the very front and they'd you could see them run them there'd be a four like four of them all run in and they'd be like we need to know which statue looks like french fries and I'd stand at the front door and I'd be like could you just look like there is a statue right there that looks like french fries like they, it, <laughs> I'm sure at the time I thought it was hilarious but now looking back I'm like this is probably just a silly story but there's just so many different groups that you're helping and people in different times and places. We'll just have people call and sometimes just want to talk. You'll answer the phone and they'll have a question, but then they'll be like, oh, that's so interesting. Oh, I didn't think about, like, there's just lonely people looking to have a conversation with someone. There's, I think one of the best parts and also probably one of the worst parts is you just never know what you're going to get that day you never know what's going to happen when those front doors open you never know what happens when that phone is going to ring you never know if it's going to be a great day or if i'm going to cry on my way home like it kind of is just some of the highest of highs lowest of lows and a big question mark every single day is something new and sometimes exciting and sometimes really boring so it just is a, a lot of variety that's for sure. Now, you mentioned you work from 3 to 9 at the library. 3 to midnight. Three. I'm sorry. Did I uh -huh. say 9? 3 to midnight. <laughs> you work 3 to midnight at the library, mm -hmm. and you close the library. Yep. That would lead me to think that there might possibly be some ghost stories for you to I know. I was going to say, I... I can't watch scary movies because I have a very active imagination. <laughs> and uh, um, so at the USU library... There are three main floors. So you've got like the first floor, the second floor, the third floor, but there's also a basement. And the way that you close the library is um, I, they have a PA system. So 10 minutes before the library, turn on the PA system and you say, the library will be closing in 10 minutes. Da -da 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 -da. And then when everyone leaves and we lock the doors, um, I plug in my phone and we put on a playlist. And then I've got usually two student workers that close with me. The Third floor is the smallest floor, and then the second floor and the first floor are the same size, and the basement is pretty much the biggest. And every evening, I'd always be like, okay, who, who, we have to walk through the entire building. You have to mm -hmm. check all of the bathrooms. You have to do, like, the whole walk. And when you're training a, like, student worker at the very beginning, you, like, walk them through the whole entire building so they know the whole course, what you're looking for. And it's always... Like, we get together, I plug my phone in, you start the music, it's normally upbeat so that I don't get too scared. And then I look at the student workers and I'm like, okay, what floor you want to walk? And it's like, oh, I'll take the fourth floor and the third floor. Great. Okay, I'm going to take the second floor. Oh, third floor and the second floor and then half of the second floor and the first floor. And then it's always Liz who gets stuck with the basement. <laughs> and I'm always like, okay, I'm a supervisor. I am the adult here. I am the one that's in charge. I will gladly take the basement. But it is so scary down there. We've got all of the Gov Docs. Um, we've got some of like the special collections, and it's like old and creaky. And half of the basement is all just 
workspaces. And so when all the people go home and they turn all the lights out and there's only like the emergency lights up top, I that was probably one of the worst parts. I walked so fast. You know, we were talking about <laughs> swimming earlier, and I was like, I'm not fast at doing anything. I sped walked Did to you? the basement. I could see that. Uh, I, yeah, that's probably the fastest I've ever moved in my life is walking that basement floor because even if there wasn't anything haunted or scary, in my mind, there definitely was. My active imagination could not. Like, every bathroom I knocked and had to go into, I was always like, all right, this is the one that's going to have the ghost in it oh. this time. <laughs> A lot of shadows, a lot of darkness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Liz, what's the next five years hold for you? It's a really good question. It's also a hard question to answer. Only, like, I'm here and I'm loving doing what I'm doing, but also I do love the feel of an academic library. I love that everyone is there to continue their education. They're there to learn. Sometimes they're there to take a nap, and, like, that's totally fine, but you're pretty much all on the same pursuit of lifelong learning and I always describe a college campus similar to a Walmart when you walk into a Walmart you know you're in a Walmart it may not be arranged exactly the same as like the Walmart you're Mm -hmm. used to but you know what to expect you know what you're looking for you know what's going to be there because when it, it is a Walmart and it's the same thing with a college campus when you walk onto a college campus you know what to expect you know all the buildings that are going to be there they may not be in the exact same like arrangement but like it has the same feel no matter what college campus you're walking onto. Maybe some of the buildings are a little bit more historic or some of them are a little bit new and modern, but it still has that same college campus feel. And I really miss that. I am still young and dumb and figuring out what I'm doing with my life. And I think going back to young Liz, who couldn't sit still enough to do one thing, I also have a hard time picturing myself doing the same thing for the rest of my life. So maybe for the next year, I'll go on an academic campus, and then a year after that, I'll go out in the middle of nowhere, and they have libraries associated with all of the national parks and the state parks, so maybe I'll become a state park librarian. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I'll go and go back to the public library because I need a little excitement in my life. I'm not sure I have necessarily the best long-term planning but I know that I'll do what's best for me and what's going to make me happy at the time and that's pretty much all I ever expect for myself there's so much versatility in being a librarian there's so much I don't know different avenues and options or I recently considered maybe being a school librarian my um, undergraduate is in education specifically in communication disorders and deaf education so the plan was to teach in sign language so I thought maybe it would be a really great best of both worlds to be in an elementary school and be a librarian so maybe I'll pursue that I I'm not sure (laughs) I can't commit to anything for five years I just kind of go where the breeze takes me wherever I'm happiest I will commit I always tell myself I can do anything for a year and beyond that then I just reassess so I know that's probably not a very adult answer but it is kind of the way that it is. I think it's a great answer. You're enjoying life, doing what you want to do, open to new challenges mm-hmm. and experiences. Absolutely. I love the prospect of growing and learning. I, mm-hmm. I just am not a very stagnant person. I like 
to continue to grow. And as much as I love an academic library, sometimes you start working there and it's the same thing over and over again. And I don't know if I can do that for the rest of my mm -hmm. life. So being able to change it up and continue to learn and progress and try new things and overcome new challenges and obstacles, I maybe I'm making those challenges and obstacles for myself but it also like it creates a sense of achievement and it creates a sense of learning and like I said lifelong learning is something sure. that I'm a big proponent of well your professional challenges are other people's gain that's true I like to say I try and make things better even if it's only for a little bit I at least <laughs> I put a hundred percent of myself into what I'm doing that's that's for sure <laughs> yeah but when you take something up to here it remains there, and then someone else can take it the next step. But the important part is is that wherever you go, you will advance it. Absolutely. Liz, you've done so much for Mesquite with the STEAM Center and so much offered so much support to Steve and I, and we thank you for that. Yeah. I'm so glad that you would take me up on the offer to say, yes, let's make, <laughs> make a media room and let's not soundproof it, but sound dampen it. Sound so that, dampen it. Uh-huh. The echo difference in this room versus out in the hallway is almost sometimes jarring. So thank you for being willing to come on to this project even at the very beginning and see how it's grown and offer classes and continue to help support our mission and vision statement. And I... I look forward to continue working with you guys and am beyond grateful that we have people like you in this community. Thank you. Yes, thank you. And we're beyond grateful that there's Liz. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. So Liz, what has inspired you this week? It's a really good question. It's only Monday is what. <laughs> well, you know, it could be last week, whatever. Um, What's inspired you recently? Yeah. That's a good way to put it maybe that's what we should start mm -hmm. saying what's inspired you recently i think one thing that always inspire is such an interesting word i am always inspired outdoors i love nature i love the differences in scenery so we've got the red rock in southern utah i took a trip up and saw the colorado river got to see the the beautiful difference of having trees around the Red Rock is a lot different than the Joshua trees on your way to to California. It's the desert landscape just has so many differences and different colors and different ways to grow and different plants and all those different things. But it, as much as this sounds silly, it makes me feel small when you're going to places like that. And sometimes that inspires me to be a bit bigger. And I know that sounds silly, but I, I like the feeling of feeling like I'm making a difference, but also I'm part of something that's a little bit bigger than myself. And that's always reminded of when I go outdoors, when I go to Zion National Park, if we go to Arches and Moab, just feeling like there's something that's a lot bigger than me. And although I'm, I'm helping along the way, it's, there's, it's a bigger picture. And sometimes I need that perspective. <laughs> inspired to have that perspective there you go <laughs> wow what an answer huh steve yeah well liz we thank you yeah we thank, thank you. you for a lot of things <laughs> we thank you for our being here thank you but we but we thank you for coming in today. that was a great way to spend my time at work let me tell you <laughs> this was so enjoyable thank you liz. yes thank you both i appreciate it okay that's it for the art box if you want to learn about woman's suffrage sax and the cat Saxon Motor Car, 
Gene Watkins and the Women's History and Cultural Center. Stick around at the end. We'll have a surprise for you. Broadcasting from Mesquite, Nevada, in the scenic Mojave Desert, the Art Box sponsors thank you for listening. To find our next and past podcasts, find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, where all accompanying images and links are available on the Art Box page. Questions, comments, opinions, and concerns can be sent to artboxvv at gmail.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of its hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Virgin Valley Artists Association. Oh, you gotta see my Saxon cat I made. Your what? Saxon. You know about the Saxon? Women's History and Culture Center. Women's suffrage, the two ladies that went around the country and the car they drove was a Saxon. Oh, so it's a type of car. It was a Saxon Motor Company. Okay, so the Saxon Motor Company gave them a car and said, travel around and, and push for women's suffrage. And they would, knowing where they were, I guess they probably had a GPS on them. No, they had a GPS. <laughs> knowing where they were going to next, they would do these big advertising campaigns of, we have these two ladies who are driving around the country by themselves in our car, and it can make it. It's very reliable. But then somebody said, well, they shouldn't go by themselves. They should have a cat. So they got this little tiny baby cat, and they named the cat after the car company. So the cat was Saxon. So you have a, a cat. A car? What do you... <laughs> so the Women's History and Culture Center uh-huh. is sponsoring a contest. Uh-huh. They give everybody uh, who would like to participate a wooden cutout of a cat. A wooden cutout of a cat. And you paint it. Oh. And then you turn it back in. And then it's like a competition? Yes. It is. Cool. That's a lot of fun. I obviously know none of that history, apparently, in my brain. Well, don't tell Gene. I didn't until I talked with Gene. And my cat, I'll have to show you later, because it's wearing Steve's sky blue suit, and it's called the podcast cat host. Oh, my gosh. Steve Meow Dudro. (laughs) That's so fun. It was fun. She's so nice to me. <laughs> I want to see. Uh, it's right now that I understand door, I what you're saying. And they'll, they'll be on display at the art gallery soon. That's, that's right. And on the 8th, I think it's the 8th, they have a Saxon gene host a little party and gives out awards and things. Yeah. I met Gene for the first time last Thursday. Did you? That was the first, first time? time? Mm-hmm. She's think, a remarkable lady, isn't she? Oh, she's she? great. Mm-hmm. I um, put together a flyer for her newsletter. Oh, okay. But she was like, you've got two days to do it. Is that going to be okay? And I was like, yeah, no big deal. You're so good. It would be a big deal for me.